0: Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed
1: to happen, but it does it. AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa.
2: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with Science Advisor Matt Moniz and the silent assassin Matt Costa. The gang's all here. We've kind of shuffled around a little bit, but we're all here. We are. Thanks, guys, for braving yet another snowstorm. Not a problem. Now, this is a new dynamic trying to work this way, so we're (laughs) going to try and figure it out as best we can. And if if we can make it happen in the correct manner uh, next week, I would be so much more comfortable if everybody was just back where they're supposed to be. In you know, our our usual spots, yes, mm. yes. Because first of all, I, I don't know why, but I'm extremely intimidated to be over here behind the board mm. when you're over there. Oh, yeah, and I don't have a proper ass groove in my chair. Yes. That's true. You got to kind of work fun. it in a yeah. little bit. Yeah. At the very least, I think we should switch chairs next week. That might work. Now this one, you know, you know, sitting on this side of things, uh, I have weeks where things go off without a hitch and we have no problems at all. But I guarantee you that I'm going to flub like four things because you're there now. I'm just staring at you. Right. You know, it's it's, it's kind of like that whole. I want to say it's like the teacher student type of thing, but I don't know. Teacher would have implied that I was listening to you when you were yeah. showing me. I'll the just first reach over and slap your hand. That works. Dirt in the chamber. <laughs> just slap your hand away. <laughs> we'll get like a uh, little taser that you can just shock me. But uh, we are back. We are here to talk about the paranormal, as we usually are each and every Saturday night. We got snowed out, or snowed in, actually, last mm-hmm. week. Um,. I wanted to come here and do the show, mainly because. It <laughs> would have been warmer. Yeah, the station had power and heat. And I had neither of those things at my house for about four or five days. So uh, I did want to come in, but uh, kind of a funny story. I have an all wheel drive vehicle, and I, I always try to park it so that if the snow is bad enough and there's an emergency, I can kind of just blast right out of the driveway through the snow. And it's served me very well. Uh, every time that I've done it, except for last week, when all the snow blew up inside <laughs> the engine block and froze my alternator uh, so <laughs> yeah. so after I dug myself out Sunday uh, Saturday, you know we wanted to evacuate and get get to warmer warmer temperatures uh, so i after I got it all out, I was thankful that I live on a hill and I was able to just push my car out into the neighbor's driveway across the street and that's where it sat for a few days until I finally got everything thought out, which (laughs) I would never recommend putting rock salt on your engine block, but if you have to get by in a pinch, uh, it worked. So, you know, here we are. I didn't have any internet for like four or five days this week because the the power surging constantly coming on and off blew out, you know, the the main hub in my basement, so I had to have that replaced. So I'm really behind... (laughs) And what we're working on here on the show, but we do have uh, an excellent show planned for you tonight because our guest tonight will be Carla Wills Brandon, uh, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and also the author of twelve published books discussing topics ranging from relationships, as, uh, ranging from topics from relationships, healthy intimacy, sexual healing, self esteem, sexual trauma, addiction, and recovery to grief, death, afterlife research, and spirituality. And that's what we're going to talk to her about tonight. Mostly, is the afterlife afterlife and spirituality because her latest book is called heavenly hugs comfort support and hope from the afterlife and we haven't really covered this topic a lot on the show and i think that uh, it, in some instances it gets a little bit too out there uh f- some of these stories that we hear and it's amazing that we've been able to put these little filters in our minds where you know we'll believe somebody that has uh, a, a, an astounding ufo abduction experience for example or a a you know Perhaps an encounter with a demon, you know, we'll, we'll believe that. But we hear these stories about people who are transitioning to the other side, and loved ones come and and embrace them. And and for some reason, we seem to dismiss those stories, or, or we don't seem to to place them with as much regard as uh, the same type of connection with the other side as we think going into a haunted location might be. So I really want to explore this topic with Carla, Will's, Brandon tonight, and I, I want to have some of my own questions answered. Uh, About the afterlife and I haven't had a chance to read the book uh, again because I had (laughs) no way to get uh, any kind of digital files this week Uh, and even if I had I didn't have lights or electronic devices to read them by. We will uh, we'll definitely have this discussion, uh, and, of course, we'll always welcome your calls, 508-996-0500, 996 1420 We do have the video up on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. The chat room is going. I don't know if the internet will hold out because we had a few problems trying to get on the air with it earlier, but uh, hopefully that it does. And uh, just on a personal note, too, before we get into the discussion uh, with Carla Wills-Brandon, I want to thank everybody that came out to my presentation at the Wamsutta Club. Uh, the week before last, uh, in which we uh, raised some money for the Friends of the New Bedford Public Library, and we talked about Ghosts of the South Coast, and we had a little bit of time afterwards to try to make contact with some of the spirits over there at the Wom Club. I didn't think that we had any luck, but uh, one of the attendees, uh, Christy, actually sent me some files that she recorded while we were trying to make contact, and she thinks she got something. I I haven't had a chance to check those out yet, um, but I will definitely Take a listen to those, and we'll see. And if uh, if they're playable on the air, we'll do that. But uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out the Warm Sutter Club, definitely check it out. Matt Costa and I were there, and uh, we talked with uh, Cindy, the manager, for a little while. And it's it's really an awesome place, man. Uh, I mean, yeah. I didn't think it was going to look like that on the inside. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite uh, fancy. It's fancy. And wh- what I like about it too is they have different levels of membership. So while you can go out there and get the full membership, which is, I think, what did you say, $75 a month? uh, Yeah, I think it was. And then $50 a month required spending, which is how most of these private clubs work. Uh, But if you don't want to go for that membership, you can get the Rounders Club membership, which uh, I believe was just under $200 for the year. Yep. And essentially was good for you and a guest. And you have access to the downstairs bar uh, lounge area. So you'll have your own private bar to go to. And nobody can bother you. You know, safe parking, great parking yep. lot. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. That, that was a that was also a plus. No uh, parking
2: meters. So, and Sorry. what was funny? What was funny is when we were getting ready to leave, I thought we were going to get locked in because they have those gates. Yeah. I didn't realize the whole back end was open. Yeah. So yeah, you don't have but, to worry about getting locked out. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, yeah, so so definitely, if you're interested, check out the Wamsutta Club. Uh, it's very affordable, and I mean these days, you know, it's hard to find a nice quiet place to go have a couple of drinks with your friends. Uh, it's hard to find a place where you can bring somebody to impress them. If you're trying to have a business meeting, or if you're trying to you know seal a new deal, or or impress a new client, you know that's the place to bring them. And uh, when you can rub elbows with the mayor and some of the higher ups of New Bedford, and uh, and and look like you're important, that's that's the place to go to the Wamsutta Club. So. Check them out and join and tell them Spooky South Coast sent you, and maybe they'll let us get in there and investigate. So, All right, so why don't we take a, a break here, and while we do that, we'll get our guest, Carla Wills Brandon, on the uh, on the phone, and we'll talk to her about her new book, Heavenly Hugs, Comfort, Support, and Hope from the Afterlife. We'll also talk to you as well. Again, 508 996 500 996 1420 Those are the numbers to get a hold of us. You can also email us, spookycrew.com, at spookysouthcoast.com or jump in the chat room on spooky TV at spookysouthcoast.com. Either way,'ll work. We will gladly uh, take your thoughts and comments and questions all night long, and we will share them with Carla as well. So stay tuned for all that. We'll be back in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast. Hello Hey man? What? you up? No. Wake
0: up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted.
1: Hey, come on. It's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. scared.
2: All right. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with Science Advisor Matt Moniz and the Asylum Assassin Matt Costa. And uh, before we get into the discussion, we do have an announcement that just came in here to the studio. And that is that tomorrow, the New Bedford National historical whaling park uh will be i'm sorry the new bedford whaling national historical park will be delayed in their opening a two-hour delay so they will open at 11 a.m that's the current plan that may change Uh, so stay tuned here uh, to wbsm or give them a call in the morning uh, before you head out there because uh, they are going to be delayed for two hours so and, again, if anybody has any delays or any announcements that they want to make, uh, you can call into us. We'll be here till midnight. So uh, we'll be here. 508-996-0500 is the number. I'm sure there might be a few more that come in during the course of the show. It's just, you know, it's what we have to do here when we're on the air in New England. A lot of people are listening to this podcast version of the show around the world. and They're like, well, what's snow? What are they talking about? If you want, we can send you some because we've got more than enough. I was telling Carla on the phone just before uh, uh, when we were getting her on the, on the phone line that we had two feet last week. We had five inches on Thursday night. Now we've got another four to eight coming in. So we we're running out of places to put it all. It's not like the old days when you could just dump it in the ocean <laughs> you know, before we yeah. used all kinds of chemicals to melt it. So, But uh, now we just have to endure it. So my shoveling muscles are <laughs> prominent this season. All right, our guest is Carla Wills Brandon, M.A., a licensed marriage and family therapist, and again, the author of 12 published books. Uh, She is probably... A wide variety of topics that we could talk to her about. Uh, we need a lot of help with intimacy and sexual healing and and sexual addiction issues. That's some of the things that we have problems with. Uh, our addiction to sex being the fact that we really like it but we don't get it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's. But uh, you know, there's so many things we could talk about with her. But we want to discuss mainly her latest book, Heavenly Hugs: Comfort, Support, and Hope from the Afterlife. Uh, it'll introduce you to both historical and modern day heavenly visions of the dying often encounter before physical death occurs. And this is something that's long fascinated me because, uh, I've heard all these stories and it's probably one of the most, I don't know, one of the most common types of Hello, my fault. One of the most common types of uh, paranormal encounters that you hear from people, but we don't really place it in the same category all the time as we do, maybe uh, you know, ghostly haunted houses and and things of that nature, Carla. But these these stories have been going on for uh, almost as long as people have been aware of the fact that we do pass on.
0: Well, hello, and I am so sorry that you all are suffering with all that <laughs> snow down here. It is a balmy sixty-eight. I'm going to feel very, very sorry for you.
2: <laughs> well, you know, that's what we
0: sign <laughs> oh, up for here. Oh, man. Man, oh, man. Every once in a while we get snow down here on the palm trees. So everybody runs outside, takes a quick picture, and, you know, and we got to do it fast before the snow melts. So my my heart goes out to you. I've got a friend who's up there right now. She just landed. She's going to see her mother-in-law, and she said that she was, you know, she needed to go get some boots. Um I live on an island that was visited by one of the largest natural disasters in history. It was the um, 1900 storm. It was a huge hurricane that came in here, and it and it killed nine thousand people. So, oh, wow. all of us around here were real, We're pretty used to paranormal activity, and and some folks that I know even have pictures of their of their spirits hanging on their walls. And um, I know that my house at one time was visited by past the past owners and, but, but, you know, most folks and probably some folks in your listening audience are, they're interested in this and, and maybe they haven't had these experiences, but maybe they've had some of these experiences, which are the departing visions. And what a departing vision is, is it's this. People who are coming close to physical passing might begin to talk about seeing deceased relatives and loved ones. Now, Two hundred years ago, death was part of the landscape. It wasn't something that the children were, you know, the children weren't taken from. I mean, I've got folks who come and see me because they're worried about taking their teenagers to their grandmother's funeral. Death in our society is very antiseptic. We live in a death-phobic society. Mm -hmm. But two hundred years ago, people typically died at home. They died in their own bed with their own quilt comforter had at the foot of the bed, and the family and friends around the bed. And so um, wills were read, uh, disputes were resolved, goodbyes were said, and there was this understanding that there was a life after this physical life and that reun- re- people would reunite. And so if the dying person began having departing visions, if they began seeing deceased relatives and loved ones, they would, this would be shared with those at the bedside, and it wouldn't be uncommon for someone to say, oh, well, who else are you seeing, or tell uh, mom hi, or um, do they have a message for us? So one foot was in, it was common knowledge that one foot was in this world and the other foot was in the next world. Um, There were visions of the next dimension, Uh, The dying knew where they were going to be going. They knew who they were going to be greeted by, and they understood that those individuals that they were seeing uh, were here to escort them to the other side. So this was not a scary experience. Um, Individuals who were not going to pass on but who cared for those who were about to could be visited in their dreams, they could receive a dream from the person who was passing. Uh, When I was 16, my mother came to me at the moment of her passing, and I knew intuitively that she had moved on. But because we live in such a death-phobic society, I didn't know who to talk about that with. Mm -hmm. About 10 years later, I discovered that a very good family friend of ours had also been awoken at the moment of her passing. And then I found out that another friend... Uh, outside of him in a different location had awoken at the moment of her passing. And just last year I found out that two more relatives of mine had been awakened at the moment of her passing. So there were five of us who woke up as she moved on. Some people will even report seeing orbs at the end of their bed, and these orbs all of a sudden uh, manifest into the physical form of one who is preparing to move on. Um, Other individuals will just see, uh, the one who is moving on, standing at the end of the bed, like the man who reported seeing his grandmother standing there telling him that she was going to be okay and that she loved him and would always be watching over him. So when people in our society today have these experiences, they don't know where to turn. I mean, when it comes to hauntings and um, some and other paranormal activity, shows like yours and... Um, some of the stuff that's coming up on TV, of course, I think it's kind of Hollywoodized. But sure, yeah, you know, there's a little more information out there. But as far as the you know the average Joe having some of these encounters and then knowing where to go to talk about them, if they go to their physician and say, "Oh, you know, I was sitting here with my father, and my father just talked about seeing his mother and his and his dad," and uh, and the doctor says, "Well, you, I guess we need to up the anti-anxiety medication. We need to." up the pain medication, they want to medicate. Uh, If someone goes to a therapist and says, my field is probably the worst, and says, uh, well, I was at my uh, mother's bedside, and she saw someone standing in the doorway, and then I turned and looked in the doorway, and I, too, saw somebody standing there, and she was calling out to her aunt. She said that that was her aunt, and then suddenly this apparition disappeared. If I tell that, you know, I'd share that with my therapist. My therapist is going to send me to the shrink, the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist is going to say, well, that's excessive grief or excessive, you know, sense of loss. Let's give you some meds. And then, of course, there's the clergy. Oh, Lord, help us all. So we're going to go tell our clergy person that we saw um, our our deceased grandmother standing at the foot of the bed, Um, and I would say probably about 80% of the time, the clergy person is going to pull something out of a religious doctrine to poo-poo that. And so in our society, unfortunately, we don't have any place to go with this stuff. And so, you know, after writing self-help books on all those topics you you brought up that I had written a number of books on, I decided that it was time to begin really, really looking at the departing vision. And so I've been doing so ever since.
2: Well, I think part of what has changed uh, is the way that we view death. And as you said, now we are very death phobic and, and there's a, a change in the process of dying. Whereas uh, opposed to, you know, a hundred years ago when it was somebody's time, it was accepted that it was somebody's time. And, and then the family could gather around and, and we have less and less of that. It still does occur these days. Uh, but more often than not, we have people trying to be kept alive instead of preparing them to pass on. And maybe in your research, uh, you probably have a better handle on this than I do, but I would expect that there's probably more instances of these visitations in cases where somebody is getting ready to go as opposed to when it would happen suddenly.
0: Well, that's not necessarily true either because, oh, um, oh, no, I've collected some fabulous accounts where uh, one in particular, a man or a woman, I can't remember which, and I can't remember which book, Uh, was driving past a relative's house and suddenly had a scene pop up for them of a funeral procession. And then when they got home, they received a phone call that that particular relative had suddenly died. Or the individual who was on the other side of the U.S. had what was called an empathetic departing vision, which involves the person experiencing uh... what it feels like to die but not actually dying uh... this particular woman was on i don't know if she was on the east coast but she was on one side of the u.s. and then her loved one was on the other side of the u.s. and she started feeling a crushing pain in her heart and uh... then it went away and then she received a phone call that her relative had died suddenly of a heart attack so uh... what i have found is that um... You know, sometimes people can even have departing visions up to a year before they're they're going to pass. I mean, one man shared an account with me. He and his mother used to have lunch every Sunday, and he was having lunch with her, and she let him know that in a year she was going to have moved on. She was going to have passed, and he was confused. She looked very healthy, and he thought she was just gooping around. And then a year to that day she had moved on. So... Wow. They come in all different shapes and sizes. And that's why, you know, mainstream media and the scientific community, what they want to do is they want to quantify all this stuff. And it's you can't quantify it. You can't, like, you can't go into a laboratory and measure this stuff. So here's an example. Now, I work with people also who have hallucinations. I mean, bona fide, way out there, hallucinations, and if I see 10 people, if 10 people come to my office, and uh, hour after hour they present to me hallucinations, each hallucination is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be specific to that individual, and it's not going to typically involve deceased individuals. It will involve a whole lot of information, but there won't be consistency from person to person. Now, let's say that 10 people come to me to share with me um, examples of departing visions. Well, those departing visions will always involve deceased or dying relatives, number one. And number two, there will be some consistency, whether the person uh, is an atheist or religious, whether the person has medication or no medication. Uh, whether they die in a quick car accident or a lingering illness. Uh, Those will be the differences, but the specifics will always be that there's this takeaway component. This um, Deceased relatives have come to take a dying loved one to the next dimension uh, to escort them uh, to some sort of, If you want to call it an afterlife, some people call it heaven, but some sort of existence beyond this physical plane that we're all so familiar with. So, though there are some consistencies with the departing vision, um, they they can also they have their variances too. So, yeah, it would be easy if it was, you know, like I mean, I know there's a guy in Russia who measures um, the energy uh, leaving a person who is dying, and what he has discovered, and he discovered this some time ago, and he wrote a book called Light After Life, um, or it might be Light After Light, I can't remember, Um, but he discovered that individuals who have a lingering illness, their energy ekes out of their bodies more slowly as opposed to somebody who dies suddenly. So, yeah, I mean, there's just so much to take a look at here. But unfortunately, you know, there's like a bunch of us who do this sort of work, and we pay dearly for it with the skeptics, as I'm sure you guys have encountered also.
2: Oh, absolutely. And and one of the other things, though, is is the emotional toll uh, that it must take on you as well to, to work with people who have, uh, you know, shared these type of experiences with you. And, and I can only imagine what it must be like uh, to go through uh, the process of... of dealing with the individuals uh, associated with these stories we're we're coming up on the news break here we have to take a break for the network news but when we come back on the other side i want to talk with you about some of those experiences and i want to talk with you about some of the uh i don't want to say cliches but kind of some of the commonly accepted uh notions of the process of dying uh that we have come to I guess, except uh, through media and through uh, you know other, other methods uh, over the years. I want to talk to you about that and, and find out some of these real-life stories and real-life encounters that people have gone through, uh, because I've been visited by loved ones who have passed on, uh, mostly in dreams, and uh, now you've got me thinking that maybe I need to get a little bit more worried <laughs> when I see one of them that uh, maybe they're trying to tell me something a little bit more drastic. But I want to get into all that and more. And uh, meanwhile, during the break, if you want to check out Carla's website, it's carlowillsbrandon.com. And uh, we will have it linked up on the front of spookysouthcoast.com as well. Just having no internet all week uh, from the storm made it hard to, to run the website this week. But uh, when you're there, you can check out all of Carla's books, uh, and you can purchase them there from uh, Amazon. And uh, it's been over over a dozen books so far, Carla? It's
0: a, that This latest one is number 13,
2: so... Lucky 13 for you.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, isn't that a good number?
2: And just looking at some of the titles, I mean, I can imagine that everybody in our audience uh, needs to check out at least one of these titles. Uh, Moniz, I know that you could use Eat Like a Lady. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, Eat Like a Lady, we have uh, Where Do I Draw the Line, The Fourth Step, Is It Love or Is It Sex, uh, Am I Hungry or Am I Hurting? and uh, then, of course, the ones where you deal with the topics of spirituality, such as One Last Hug Before I Go, A Glimpse of Heaven, and and the latest one, Heavenly Hugs. So check that out, CarlaWillsbrandon.com. And you also have a a podcast that you do as well, right?
0: Well, I used to, not so much anymore, but what people can do is they can go to YouTube, and I've put together, oh, a series of very poorly (laughs) videotaped uh, uh, three- to five-minute info there are little info videos on uh, different aspects of the departing vision.
2: But all the uh, podcasts are archived up there, too. I see if people want to check those out. So uh, definitely uh, check they out They can
0: actually that- find those podcasts on iTunes for free, Perfect. those past old podcasts.
2: There you go. And uh, so iTunes, uh, YouTube, and CarlaWillsBrandon.com. We're going to take a break for the news. When we come back, we'll talk more about the afterlife, about these departing visions of loved ones. And we'll also take your calls, 508-996-0500, 996 1420 Email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And, of course, you can jump in the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. Where you can uh, see what's going on in the studio as well. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
1: Supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it. AM 1420, WBSN presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Wiseberg and Matt Costa.
2: Hey, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Wiseberg here, along with the Simon assassin, Matt Costa. And science advisor Matt Moniz, we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night, except not next Saturday night, we won't be here. It's funny, we've had like three weeks off, week on, week on, week off, week on, week off. You know, it's it's like we're uh, actually paid employees of a radio station with all this vacation time we've been taking for ourselves here. But, uh, no, actually, we are not going to be with you next week because we have a Legend Trips event. Uh, we'll be at the Lizzie Boyden Bed and Breakfast for Dead of Winter 2013, which, of course, is sold out. Uh, for everybody that is attending that, though, uh, the rooms have now sold out in the house. But we do have a local room deal available at the Hampton Inn of Westport, Fall River. If you do need to get a room, just uh, give me a shoot me an email, Tim at com, and I will send you the information so that you can book a room at that rate. And uh, also, I'm working on finalizing the plans this week. It was going to be done last week, but of course I had no computer, uh, where we're going to be uh, finalizing the room deal for our event, Haunting the Houghton, which will be uh, April 5th through the 7th at the Houghton Mansion in North Adams, Massachusetts. Uh, There's a a big problem trying to get a hotel. I wish I had actually been involved in the planning stages of selecting the date for this event because I had a lot of valid points I would have brought up. Like, it's still ski season in April in the Berkshires. And so, as a result, it's it's been very hard to find uh, a hotel that we can put everybody in. So we might have to be spread out over a few different hotels. But we're working on securing deals uh, at a couple of them so that you can save some money and not have to pay what is uh, actually a pretty high rate because it's still the ski season up there. Uh, so we're looking at maybe right around one twelve a night for the rooms, which is a phenomenal deal if you've ever gone up there and say it's usually like one sixty one eighty uh, a night. So we've been able to get some some rooms at around one twelve uh, to one twenty a night. So we'll we'll have an announcement coming up about that soon. But meanwhile, it's not too late to get your tickets to Haunting the Houghton. Uh, If you go to legendtrips.com, you can purchase your tickets. They are uh, just $149.00. And that's going to get you into the Friday night meet and greet and paranormal party at the hotel. There'll be presentations by Jeff Belanger, Ron Kolick of the Ghost Chronicles podcast and New England Ghost Project, uh, myself and more. There'll be question and answer sessions with the speakers. uh, And on the night of the investigation at the Houghton Mansion, you'll get dinner. You'll get five plus hours of ghost hunting throughout the mansion, and uh, then I'm sure on Sunday morning we'll all get together and have a little bit of brunch because that's one of my requirements of any hotel is they have to have some kind of a breakfast uh, because uh, everybody that's involved with the event wants to meet up the next day and talk about their experiences. Like a
1: continental breakfast or just it, it's got to be hot.
2: Yeah, well, it's probably just yeah, going to yeah. be a continental breakfast that's because good. it's it's hard yeah. to, to get more than that. But when when we stayed at the Comfort Inn after the uh, Slater Mill event, I mean they put a pretty decent continental breakfast there. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know what they have at most of these now? Make your own waffle stations. Get out. Yeah, you like press a button, and they pour the batter into a cup, and then you pour the cup into the waffle maker, flip it, and three minutes later, you've really? got a delicious Belgian waffle. That's outrageous. I know. And that's <laughs> included with, with your hotel room when you purchase the hotel room. Wow. So, uh, But meanwhile, if you want to get the $149 ticket to the event itself, you can do so by going to legendtrips.com. Click on the link for the haunting the Houghton event again. It's Friday, April fifth through Sunday, April seventh. Uh, it's our first ever multi-day event, and uh, we'll we'll have some fun on Saturday uh, too. I've never been to the Houghton Mansion. Is it? It's it's quite a break. I think so, isn't
1: it? It's a good sized place. I've been in it several times, and I've had physical objects move in the place on me right in front yeah. of several other people. It definitely produces a lot of paranormal activity. Whether the place has just got a few people in it. Or a whole, you know, building full. So, so there's going to be plenty of room for people to run around. And uh, yeah, oh it, yeah, it is quite spacious, yes. Okay.
2: And uh, and of course Josh Mantello of Berkshire Paranormal Group, who is uh, headquartered out of the Houghton Mansion, will be there as well. He's going to be part of the event, and he'll be uh, part of our staff for that night. So we'll be able to not only hear some of the stories, but uh, you know he'll he'll know all the hot spots of uh, where the activity is. So it's uh, again, it's going to be a quite a unique weekend event. It's our first ever multi-day event, haunting the Houghton at the Houghton Mansion in North Adams, Mass. Friday, April fifth through Sunday, April seventh. Just go to legendtrips.com if you want to buy the tickets. And uh, for those of you who are just getting your tax returns back, you know, and you're looking for a paranormal event to go, uh, or a weekend away even, you know, this is the event for you. Also, though, if you haven't got your tax returns or if you're not getting one and you don't really have the cash or the funds to buy these tickets, uh, PayPal now offers a special deal. For people who purchase tickets to our events, you can use the uh, Bill Me Later plan, and you can actually stretch the payments out over over about oh, six months. Good. I've used that before; it, it's really good. So you That's don't cool. have to actually shell out the hundred and forty nine dollars all at once. You can kind of make monthly yeah, payments, really easy. and and it's I good. Love
1: PayPal, PayPal. If PayPal was a person, I'd give them a high five. <laughs> They
2: do a good job. They do. They do an excellent job. And and they do a great job with our events of of uh, uh, making sure that everything goes as smoothly as possible. So, uh, again, please, if you want to get the tickets, do it soon because uh, as, pe- as people are getting their tax returns back, those tickets are going to go fast.
1: And people can buy these tickets as gifts for other people.
2: Right. And that's, uh, we have a lot of people that do that for our, our regular attendees. Uh, we've really built a great family up at these Legend Trips events. So uh, I know that the first you know dozen or so tickets that we sell to every event are going to be to the same people because we've formed a, a bond with them. And, and I think that's part of the reason why we have so much activity happen on these things because we've got a good mix of the right people.
1: Can we get gift certificates available for people for future events when we do this one?
2: Um, we can talk about it. Again, Moniz throwing things at me on the air. Instead <laughs> you of have to decide now, about <laughs> No, we've, we've actually talked about some different uh, options. Uh, Jeff and I have some different programs that when we start doing these on a more frequent basis, maybe having the idea of like a season pass and, and things of those nature. So, well, the
1: reason I brought this up is other people have talked about that. At right. events, so,
2: Well, I mean, you can always purchase the ticket uh, through legendtrips.com and through the PayPal there and just make a note that it's for somebody else. And we can handle that. Or just shoot me an email when you buy the ticket. And Like I said, people buy tickets for, for them all the time. So uh, we can certainly accommodate anybody in any way that they desire. Uh, we even we even get vegan pizzas. I mean, come on. That's how much yeah. we're willing to please. Vegan pizzas. Yes. Any, we'll, any gluten-free? We'll suffer through vegan pizzas. We get gluten-free if required. Yeah.
1: So does that mean you can get meat salads for non-vegans? Well, we could salad, try.
2: Isn't just a pile of meat? It's it sounds it sounds kind of gross, actually. It does. It sounds, uh-huh. like, it sounds like a bad '90s band, <laughs>
0: <laughs> or, a,
2: or a good '90s. Band. It could have been a good '90s band. Too. <laughs> meat salad. I think it's one of the bands that Monies used to do sound for. That's yeah. why I came up to leave. <laughs> All right, let's get right back into the discussion with our guest tonight, Carla Wills, Brandon, and uh, Carla. We 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 were having some fun there talking about uh, the Houghton Mansion event that we're doing, but uh, the Houghton Mansion is uh, one of these typical typical. Uh, stories that we hear in the paranormal of tragic tales, uh, A.C. Houghton uh, lost members of his family in a car accident, and he died of a broken heart not long after. And we hear a lot of stories about people who have that type of connection, uh, the husband and wife who are married for 50 years and, and never leave each other's side. And then when one passes, the other one passes. Uh, w- what is it about the, the closeness of, of people that we can allow that to have a physical effect on our lives?
0: Well the bo- the bottom line is we're spe- we're here to spiritually evolve. And the way we spiritually evolve is by having relationships with other people. And relationships are really rough. I mean trials and tribulations. geez, I see it all the time. My husband is a he's a clinical psychologist and he and I work with couples as a couple and and he and I have been together for a while so of course we've had, you know, our share of knockdown drag out. <laughs> I mean it's, and then, of course, if you have kids, there are some more relationships. And so, you know, relationships basically force us, if we are willing to, they force us to take a look at ourselves. And when we can take a look at ourselves, it, we can take a look at our warts, and we can also take a look at those aspects of ourselves that are really good. So when we're in a decent relationship with somebody and we've kind of gone through all of the all of the ups and downs of that, and 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 made it through all that, and gotten to the other side. A lot of people today nowadays they don't know how to fight, and so they bail on a relationship way too soon, as opposed to getting some help and learning how to, you know, have have a decent, healthy fight, uh, respect boundaries, all that wonderful stuff. Um, and so when a couple can make it through all that, there is that there is when we meet someone for the first time, what attracts us is lust. If we didn't have lust, we wouldn't have humankind. I mean, that's just that's the breaks. That's the way it is. And so what happens is that over time is that lust begins to wear off. The hormone for lust uh, begins to wear off a little bit. And so most people begin to think, oh, my gosh, we're not in love anymore, so let's, you know, ditch this relationship and move on down the line. Well, if we can stick it out, what happens is that a new hormone steps in, and it's called the intimacy hormone. And so it changes every aspect of the relationship. It's uh, not only does it make sex better, but uh, we learn how to communicate better. We can have fights and know that just because we disagree and have a fight, that doesn't mean the end of a relationship. So when you have that kind of intimacy for those many years, what happens is that there is a bond. There's a spiritual bond that is formed between individuals and you begin to spiritually evolve together and so when one passes on there is this sense of and working with widows and widowers you know widows and widowers report something called the after death communication which is very different than the deathbed vision the deathbed vision is something that happens before death An after-death communication is an experience where we make contact with somebody we care about after a passing where relatives, loved ones can come to us in dreams. They can manifest and appear fully physical before us. And so what a lot of widows and widowers have shared with me, they've shared with me how they have seen their physically deceased partner. I just heard someone say it again tonight. Uh, where they have seen their deceased loved one around the house. My godfather, who was your basic meat and potatoes, German from Russia kind of guy, very old school, wouldn't know what a New Age magazine was if you hit him on the head with it. When his wife passed, he started talking about seeing her around the house. And so a lot of these couples will talk about that. Some couples will decide that they need to stick around because of the children or the grandchildren. But then you have others who, other partners who, within a five-year period of a passing, they will move on, too. It's almost as if they set into motion unconsciously uh, the switches that set the stage for a passing. So, you know, all of this is very, very interesting, but the after-death communication uh, probably a lot of people in your in your listening audience have experienced that when my grandmother passed I had a dream she came to, I was just grieving her horribly because she took the place of my own mother when my mother passed and in the dream she came to me and and she the colors were very very vivid and that's what a lot of people will talk about when they have an after life or a or a a departing vision experience in a dream form or an after death communication, the colors are vivid. Just like the near death experience, where somebody comes close to dying, they leave their body, they go through the tunnel, they reach the next dimension, they re- reunite with deceased loved ones or guides, and they discuss, they talk about how the colors are very bright, and then they come back. They don't, in essence, pass. Mm-hmm. But my grandmother, she came, you know, she walked in, grabbed me by the shoulders, shook me by the shoulders, and said, get over it. (laughs) And and that was so like her, you know. And so people can have these after-death experiences also where um, somebody comes, whether it's a deceased parent, grandparent, sibling, partner. But the thing that's so interesting about... um, partnerships there was an article that came out in a newspaper in Pennsylvania I, I think it was maybe last year and in that article i included it in the latest book in that article there was there were a couple who had, were very devoted to each other and they had raised children and they had been through the trials and tribulations and then spent he was a truck driver and and then she went on the road with him and they just had these wonderful adventures and and he became very 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 sick and so he was in a hospital and while he was in a hospital she suddenly became ill and so she was hospitalized well she passed away and he was not told of her passing and when it was time for him to pass guess who was there to greet him It was his wife who had had moved on. So there's this wonderful, wonderful article, and in this story it talks about how he is saying to her, pull me up, pull me up, pull me up, hold on tight, pull me up. And what he's saying to her is, you know, pull me on up with you. Pull me on up out of this physical body so that I can be with you. So the bond of love is, is, I think that's what we're really here to learn about. And so when you have, I know in your field, what you're looking at is you're looking at people who have some, uh, they're in the spirit, but they have some real unfinished business, and so they're sticking around. And we, we take ourselves to the other side. So if, you know, if I was kind of a miserable, nasty person on this side and, and never could make peace with anything on this side, and had a lot of unfinished business, and, and let's, let's say something horrible and horrific happened to me, and my passing was very, very tragic, and I found myself in a spirit body, and and uh, I didn't want to believe that I really was dead. We had, you know, I had a 100-year-old office house, and we had a, a, a several spirits in that house. We had... Um, Uh, Some children had passed away in that house tragically, and so I'd be seeing clients in my office, and I'd hear somebody running up and down the stairs, and nobody else would be in the house, or uh, the swing in the back would start moving when there was no breeze. But there was this one really crabby spirit who... (laughs) I had this one six-foot-four Danish uh, client who uh, I had left up in my office, and I to kind of gather himself. We had done some intense work. And I came downstairs to take care of some business. And the guy came flying down the stairs, and he said, you're not going to believe what I saw upstairs. And he described a a very angry, angry older man who had manifested and scared him to death. So, you know, I think that we take ourselves to the other side if we haven't worked through a lot of our business that we're that we're here to work through, what's going to happen for us is that we're going to take that with us. But also, you know, as I said earlier, the bottom line is we're supposed to be learning about not only loving ourselves, but loving others because others really are a mirror of who we are. And working through those issues and problems and dynamics and, you know, some folks, reincarnation experts say that we reincarnate with a soul group, and and as Bob Monroe said once, Bob Monroe was a the famous out-of-body uh, explorer who uh, started the uh, Monroe Institute. As he said, uh, you know, people would switch roles, and, you know, I'll be the dad this time, and you can be the son, or you can be the mother, and I'll be the grandparent, but We are here to learn something, and so I think that, unfortunately, (laughs) the only thing that changes, to be honest with you, is the scenery, (laughs) you know, and that just becomes more vivid. Uh, In some instances, you will have some folks who will create a reality for themselves on the other side that is difficult or depressing, or it's based on where they are at, Mm -hmm. or you have these earthbound entities that you guys run across who aren't real sure what's up, what's down? Am I I dead? Am I alive? Uh, And they'll hang around and they'll be crabby like the spirit that was in my 100-year-old office house. But I have to say that the most rewarding experiences are seeing those reunions. Those reunions are really, really something. I, I usually end up sitting there with a box of tissues sobbing my eyes out and just in awe of the in amazement and in, in witnessing these these experiences of uh individuals who thought separation was forever and then they discovered that it wasn't
2: and and we do deal with a lot of people uh who have lost a loved one and the person still on this earth has unfinished business they still have uh Feelings of regret uh, and and sorrow about the loved ones passing, and more often than not, we find that through trying to that's that's why they're trying to make that connection with them in the, through the afterlife. Whether it be you know uh, going to see a, a spirit medium uh, or uh, even trying to investigate and and make contact within their own home, perhaps. Uh, and I've I've seen a lot of people who are weighted on by that. And what you're talking about, we've seen that too, where where somebody can finally make that connection with somebody who's passed on and realize, you know, all the stuff that I'm holding on to, they don't see as important anymore. You know, and, and it's it's about the love and it's about the, the connection more than it is about whatever that last little fight was that they had.
0: Well, you're so, so right. I mean, I think that I was, okay, I had a friend who passed away. This guy had an amazing life. He was part of the Mexican cartel, first of all. Mm. I mean, he was really, really not a real nice guy, and he had a sort of, I'll just say, a spiritual awakening, and when he got out of prison, he really turned his life around, and he became someone who was very devoted to taking care of other people, and so we had today, what we had was um, a fundraiser for his family, because the family was not real wealthy, and they needed some help in paying expenses, and... He actually passed in his home, and uh, one of his relatives was talking to me about how guilty she felt that uh, he had passed in the home and that she thought she wasn't disturbing him, but that she now felt guilty because she felt like she should have disturbed him. Maybe she could have helped him. What I had to say to her was, you know, he, he was so devoted to you guys that he wanted, he was going to. He wanted to pass without upsetting you. He didn't want you to be up there with him. He wanted to do this as easily and as gently as possible um, for you guys, and so he he wouldn't want you to feel guilty right now or to be upset about it. He passed exactly the way he wanted to pass. There was another account that involved a uh, departing vision. As a matter of fact. Um, that a very famous near-death experience uh, researcher, it was one of his uh, kiddos that he worked with, and this child was in the process of passing, and the family was you know, circling, circling around him and praying like mad for him to get well, get better, and finally what happened was during a dream, uh, the minister had a dream about this child, and the child had come to him and said, could you please tell my family to quit praying? They need to let me go. <laughs> and so once the minister delivered this to the family, and the family, they thought they were doing the right thing. But once the family realized that this was the wishes of the child, they stopped and they just spent time with him and loved him. And then he was able to gently move on. So, you know, I mean, if, if we're if I'm real codependent and... I can't let go of my dying, my physically dying relative. Boy, I have seen this a gazillion times. That physically dying relative is going to try to stick around for as long as possible. If there is unfinished business or if there is concern or worry um, with regard to surviving children, partners, also, those in spirit will hang around, or they'll spend a lot of time hanging around in order, because those bonds, they're not broken just because the physical body disintegrates. And I think that so many people in our culture nowadays, there's there's huge, huge focus on materialism. All we have to do is turn on the television. And there's huge, huge focus on uh, looking a certain way and behaving a certain way, and, and, and there are these delusional thoughts about what's really important in life. And the bottom line is is that it's about our relationships and it's about love and it's about understanding that uh, these relationships don't end. I mean, what, what would our society be like if there wasn't this monumental fear of physical dying? I, I, seriously. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I think it would, it would absolutely change society. But unfortunately, so, you know, like, oh, let's say 500 years ago, guys going into battle, they knew that they were probably going to die. And so, but they still went into battle anyway, because that was for the love of their country, the love of their community, the love of their family. But but also,
2: also, too, though, because death was kind of around every corner anyway. Whereas uh, opposed to now, where we, like you said, you know, we've become death phobic. We think that we're insulated from it now. But back then, you know, you, it, you were more, you were probably more spiritually attuned because uh, you realized the brevity of life.
0: Well, people also were more aware of, you know, years ago, what I did is Raymond Moody is a, he is a famous near death experience researcher. He's like the. Godfather of everybody,
2: right?
0: Yeah, and yeah, you know who he is. Some oh yeah, Life 70s,
2: After Life. Yeah,
0: yeah. So in the seventies, he uh, wrote his first book uh, about his research into near-death experiences. Probably about fifteen years ago, maybe give or take. Uh, he had invited several of us, myself, um, a physician from Florida who researched hellish near-death experiences, where she learned that. People who have um, scary near-death experiences uh, have those types of experiences because, in the end, they end up being a good thing and people learn from them. Um, she, uh, another physician from New York, a uh, massage therapist, a few other people, we were all invited to meet at his house to um, to study what was called uh, mirror-gazing. He had... Uh, built what are called psychomantiums in his home, which were basically pitch-black, dark rooms with a chair and a mirror. That was it. And it was based on the old philosophy of mirror-gazing. In ancient culture, what the mystics used to do is they would go down to the water, they would put water in a in a bowl, and they would gaze into that in order to make contact with the afterlife. Scribe. And so he got very, very into all of this. And so... Um, he had Diane Sawyer out there, and, and it was just a really big deal for him. So I thought, well, I'm game. I'm going to go on out there. So I went out there, and, and uh, I went into the first three psychomantiums and didn't experience much. I had, had uh, My grandmother had passed, and I was boo-hooing and crying and, and uh, upset about that. But I didn't have anything paranormal happen at all. And so we had a light dinner, and, of course, no drinking, no drugs, no, I don't smoke, so nothing mood-altering at all was allowed. But um, I was planning on just going to bed, and then something nudged me to try to go into the fourth one. And so I went into the fourth psychomantium, and I sat down, and it was pitch black, and I almost fell over myself just getting to the chair. And I could actually hear Raymond in the next room talking about, oh, some domestical th- I don't know, laundry or <laughs> or garden or something around his house, and all of a sudden the temperature in there dropped. I mean, it just dropped, and I got very chilly, and what began to come out of the mirror would be described as orbs and um, vortex sort of light, and uh, kind of first started out sort of like a mist, smoke, luminous light, and then quickly became orbs, lots of different orbs. And it just took me totally by surprise. I became very scared, and so I started saying to myself, What can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? What can I learn from this? (laughs) And then one of the facilitators came by, and she just checked on me and asked if I was okay, and I told her what was going on, and she said, Well, do you want to end your session? And I said, No, I think I'm going to stick it out. And um, so she left, and so as soon as she left, the temperature dropped again, and all of a sudden, there were these orbs coming at me, through me, um, and I experienced the most overwhelming sense of love. And at that moment, I knew that all of my deceased relatives were there with me, that they were always with me, and that they were watching over me. Uh, after that experience, I wasn't able to really talk about it for probably four years. I I didn't know how to put it into words. I came, when I got home, I think I shared it maybe with my husband. I wrote it out, and then I just sort of, I didn't know what to do with it at all. But what that taught me was I learned very, very quickly that there, you know, like I said before, the scenery may change, but the bonds of love remain, and that our deceased loved ones are always with us. So I think... 100 years ago, 200 years ago, uh, and beyond, uh, back in time, yes, as you said, death was part of the landscape, and so uh, people were more in tune to these sorts of things. They, they, We grieve, of course, don't get me wrong, we <laughs> grieve the separation. It would be like my best friend moving from here to Italy, and I'm not able to go next door and have tea with her, and and it's harder to communicate with her, and the relationship changes, so I'm going to grieve the way it was. But as far as relationships disappearing, they don't disappear. But I do think it's just very, very sad that the skeptics out there, will they will do backflips trying to prove that anybody who is looking into this is either a nut or I was called. Let's see, a witch, a new age nut. I don't
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> those are all badges of honor. Those aren't. Those aren't. Uh, you know, those aren't discrediting names. Those are badges of honor in, in this field. But uh, <laughs> w- one of the things that we have, we, I mean, we've had people come on the show before and talk about the process of dying, and quite quite often it's from a skeptical point of view. And we actually had one gentleman who came on. I can't remember his name, but he. Ex- we, we talked about the process of dying. With the idea of seeing the light and going down the tunnel. And he described this as the, the process of your your body shutting down. Uh, and he basically explained away these experiences that people report uh, through a scientific lens. But I'm guessing from, from your research and from the people that you've discussed with, that journey is a lot different than uh, something that can easily be explained away as just you know the, the cells going into the process of dying.
0: You know, these people, I just want to line them all up and slap them. <laughs> if you kidding. want to do that, that
2: would make a great show. We
0: would. Man, oh my gosh, it's like they, they're they so sanctimonious. Okay, I have a really good friend. His name is Erlinger Haraldson, and he and his buddy, Carlos Osis, were the first, really the second individuals to categorize and and really look at scientifically as much as possible the departing vision. And there was a guy named Sir William Barrett. He was the first. He was married to a woman who was a gynecological surgeon. And she began to notice that when her patients began to die, that they would begin to talk about um, seeing deceased relatives and loved ones, the light. Uh, and what they would also talk about is they would talk about seeing people who they didn't know had passed. So someone would pass, and the family would decide that they weren't going to tell this loved one who was ill that this, this friend had passed because they didn't want to upset them. And I've also, I have modern-day accounts of this also. And so as these individuals are preparing to pass, um, for example, here's a will just give this one really quick. Uh, A man was uh, in a nursing home, he was very, very ill, he couldn't read the newspaper, he wasn't watching television, listening to the radio, his children would come to visit him and um, there was one son who didn't come that often. Well, that son was murdered and so the remaining siblings decided not to share with the father that this uh, brother had been murdered. And so during a visit, uh, the father said, isn't it nice that all of my children are here? And then he said, oh, wait a second, so-and-so is not here, he's over there. And so he, nobody had told him that this son had passed. Well, the Barretts had collected experiences similar to this and similar to some of the ones that I, had share, I have shared with you. And a book was put out in 1926, a year after Sir William Barrett passed, And it was the first book titled Deathbed Visions. Well, what happened was, Osis and uh, my friend Erliner, what they did, they were two psychologists from Iceland, and they decided to take Barrett's work and put together a questionnaire. So they put together a questionnaire for nurses and doctors who were at the bedside of the dying. And it had a lot of questions in it, and they set it up in such a way so that they could statistically analyze, and they could check for things like lying and, and just, you know, they, they, it, really, it, it was a scientific piece of, it was beautifully put together. Now, they gave it out to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of uh, medical practitioners here in the United States, and this was in the 60s and 70s. Now, not only did they do this in the United States, but they also did it in India. So it was a cross-cultural study. And what they found were several interesting things, and I've shared some of this already. Number one, that with the departing vision, and, of course, these uh, individuals collected uh, numerous departing visions, and their book is called At the Hour of Death. Um, and what they checked for was this whole notion that it's the dying brain. And what they discovered was that these individuals were very, very lucid. While they were having these experiences, and they would turn, and they would talk to those who were sitting at the bedside with them, and then they would turn, and then they would talk to the deceased relatives. They uh, So they checked for the dying brain notion, and they checked not just with that. That's just one example. And, of course, they checked for, with the medication issue, and they checked with the religious issue, wishful thinking. Just a whole list. of, And what kills me is that, okay, these these studies are continuing. These studies, there's a guy in the U.K. named Peter Fenwick, who's a neurosurgeon, and he's also a psychiatrist. And he is a near-death researcher, and he recently did a huge study on departing visions. And so he checked for all of the same stuff, that these skeptics keep bringing up. And he also found out that what they were saying was bunk. And these studies were replicated in Ireland, uh, in Holland. Uh, Studies have been done in Italy. Even a branch of the VA hospital in California, uh, they've done their own studies. And they've all come to the same conclusion, that the dying brain does not explain it, that it's too... Um, there's too much consistency. there's too much um, how do I say this? when the brain is dying, okay, if it was just the brain if it was just hallucinations from a dying brain, remember we talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. it would be much more chaotic. it wouldn't be um, it wouldn't be so the consistency wouldn't be there. I recently was I don't even know what I was looking for, but I found another. One of these guys, these skeptics, had uh, posted the same thing in a blog that uh, these experiences were basically just the byproduct of a dying brain. If you look at the near-death experience, the near-death experience is the departing vision without death, physical death, okay? And the near-death experience from person to person is fairly consistent also. You have Eben Alexander, who is the neurosurgeon, uh, neurologist who uh, had a near-death experience and put together a book that just recently came, came out, oh, I can't remember, maybe six months ago. And there was nothing more gratifying for me than to listen to a neurosurgeon, Harvard neurosurgeon, who had had a near death experience describing his own encounter? He was also previous to this uh, uh, very skeptical of all of this. Holding his own brain scans <laughs> and talking about why his dead brain couldn't have, how this couldn't be a dying brain fabrication because the components of the experience were so clear. Mm-hmm and also he met up with his sister he was an adopted he was adopted at birth and he met up in his near death experience with a sister who he had never met and he didn't have validation about who this guide was until after he had come to and he began describing her and somebody sent a picture of her to him so You know, when you have a brain that's dying or dead, you know, that you were talking about consciousness, now we're getting into a different topic. Is consciousness, is it a byproduct of the mind? Is it a byproduct of the brain? Or does consciousness basically filter through our mind and brain? So is consciousness located within our brain? So would that mean it's localized? Or is it non-local? Well, if it's non-local, that would explain why the person having the near-death experience can be flatlined and have no brain activity um, and have a brain that is essentially muck from meningitis but still have this experience that can be recounted in detail. Or why the individual who is having a departing vision can, even though their body is slowly, slowly shutting down, why they can have these vivid experiences with afterlife content with only deceased relatives. That's the other thing that kind of blows the whole dying brain theory out of the water, is why is it so for people who have a dying brain, they only are going to see deceased relatives and loved ones? Why is it that these individuals who are getting ready to pass on why do they have such vivid, vivid um, accounts of what these individuals look like, like the man who shared about his grandmother in her pink traveling suit with the pink pill hat, you know, the little box pill hats they used to wear mm. in days gone by. So, yeah, these guys, they really do. It just, they're really grasping for straw here, but well, and, they persist.
2: And as you mentioned, too, the... the 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 death visions in, in that experience uh it's not just limited to that person i mean it can happen to those around them it seems like dying is uh, a process that affects the consciousness of those around you as well i mean Mo- matt Moniz, my co-host here was uh was sharing with us during the break uh a story about some chimpanzees matt if you want to kind of share that with with carlo
1: yeah sure if you, if you want um There was a female chimpanzee named Dorothy uh, in the Shangyong Chimpanzee Rescue Center in 2009 that died. And as she was being carried out, all of the chimpanzees gathered at the fence and all basically stood there in silence and with their hands on each other's shoulder watching this basically troop mate be be carried out. Now, have you ever dealt with chimpanzees before?
2: No, I haven't. Not not until she talked to us. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, well, I've had a chance to interact with them before and so, because I work
2: We're, th- we're three chimpanzees. That's yeah.
1: what we're <laughs> well, but usually they're very vocal and they almost never sit still generally mm-hmm. when in a, when in a group enclosure. And uh for for them to do something like this is very profound. They understood I gather from what I've read and stuff that they knew their troopmate was dead, you know, and the handlers had to come in and remove it. Now what What's making me wonder is, do they understand the actual significance of it you know what what's going to go through their heads you mm-hmm. know as this thing happens in talking about having loved ones contact you from the other side when they died I'd had that actually happen when my mother died. I actually received a physical phone call that registered on the phone right in front of other witnesses that witnessed it happen, so
2: and that's, I mean, that could be a show for a uh, topic for a whole other show, uh, Carla, about the the phone calls that come from people. But
0: well, you, I can validate that for him really quickly. Um, my editor for one of my first books, when her mother died, she received, she received the same type of contact from her mother too. Hmm.
1: Uh, it was weird. She died that day. I had just gotten back home from the hospital. Uh, my friend and his girlfriend had. Uh, Showed up on my porch to extend sympathies and that. And uh, the phone rang. And it was a series of numbers, jumbled numbers, that didn't make any sense. I answered the phone. And I distinctly, and I mean distinctly, heard my mother's voice saying, I'm okay, Mac. And that was the name that she used to call me as a nickname, Mac. So that kind of um, made me... step back and wonder because i've been studying this stuff for a number of years and i've always heard about it i never thought i would actually experience it Mm -hmm. but it it definitely opened my eyes
0: and that's exactly what happened to my editor is that her mother told her that she was okay too so i mean they're going to let us know all we have to do is be open and sometimes they'll even like smack us across the head to get our attention um and unfortunately like you know, isn't that wonderful that you're aware and so you were able to take that for what it was. And uh, But like I said before, at the beginning of the show, so many people in our society, I get people who walk into the office and they'll sit down and we'll get through all the relationship junk and the addiction stuff. And, and then finally they'll say, you know, I, I, I've never shared this with anybody, but here's what happened. And then they'll share some. Uh, something like what you just shared, or they'll share an after-death communication, or a near-death experience, or a pre, you know, a premonition, some sort of premonition, um, or some some sort of event. And and like I said, these aren't people who know what the New Age movement is. They're they're average people, uh, everyday people out there, and and they don't know who to talk about it with. Whereas in days gone by, when this stuff ha- happened, it was. It was commonplace. There's a um, spiritualist town in uh, uh, New York, and it's called Lilydale, and you guys might be familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And it's a very refreshing place because people kind of stand around, and, and the mediums up there they'll say, "Oh yeah, I saw your sister." Or, oh yeah, well, what were they up to? And and it, it's commonplace. I mean, it's it's like it's openly discussed, and in my circles too. Um, when I have had contact, there was a woman who was a writer, and she got into some automatic writing and uh, from, spirit, from spirit. And so I had always said to her, you know, contact me when you get to the other side, and she did. And so I contacted this friend of ours in common, and it's just so refreshing to, to be able to talk to somebody who can say, Oh wow! Yeah, did she contact you? That's really cool. That's great. Uh, as opposed to going out there in Normyland and having them look at us like, uh, well, you know, are you are you fully sober? Have you you know are you suffering from some some emotional problems? So um, the majority of people out there, gang, they they really they don't have any place to go. And for your listening audience, if they are looking for places to go. There are all sorts of resources out there. There are places where they can go.
2: Well, one of the things that I find most fascinating about these stories uh, is the fact that, you know, very rarely is it ever a negative experience for anybody. Uh, It's always a positive experience to have these loved ones come back and, and to have these visions, and it just shows that once we get beyond this world, you know, whatever lies ahead of us, it, it just shows us how uh, how mundane and how uh, I, I guess you could say uh, almost just of little value what we're doing here really is because there there's so much more beyond this and, and how trivial, yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is when you look at it when you see these. When you hear about these types of reports, it just goes to show you that, uh, you know, the life that we're living, the the problems that we have that we put so much weight on, uh, and it turns out in the end, you know, everything is a lot more uh, positive and uplifting than it may seem here. And I I I don't think I've ever heard of a negative encounter uh, on a deathbed of you. Well,
0: you know, some people will really fight. I'm going to tell you a story, a real quick story. My mother-in-law, she lost her mother in Auschwitz. And she lost a lot of her family in Auschwitz. Her father was in Siberia, and her sister was and brother were in Auschwitz. And she was stateside. She and my father-in-law had uh, gotten to the States just before the war broke out. And so um, she had a lot of old wounds that she never healed from. Um, she was a very, very liberal uh, professor at a university who... Uh, and during her time to be a female and be the chair of a, of a uh, she was a French professor, so she, you know, she kind of like steamrolled all the guys. But um, she, when I wrote my first book on Departing visions, she was afraid to read it because she was afraid she wasn't spiritual enough, mm-hmm. which was kind of funny because all the other books, you know, she'd like go through them with a red pen and correct <laughs> all the mistakes after they were published. Well, we moved my in-laws down to be closer to us, and uh, were able to be with them on a daily basis. And my father-in-law, of course, he had a dry sense of humor. He was from uh, Lithu- he was Lithuanian, and he, he uh, went back and rounded up all the relatives in the camps and brought them back to the States. And he just had a very wicked sense of humor. He died on a Friday the 13th, the day after Hanukkah, so that he wouldn't upset his sons. After the 10 o'clock news in my husband's arms, I mean, he was just a Ditch. so uh, dying on a Friday the 5th, the 13th we just we just kind of cracked up over that but my mother-in-law she was a whole different story she when it came time for her to pass she fought it fought it fought it we die as we live so she was very controlling so she was very controlling about her passing and so she started calling out to him um, with his nickname Malpa which is um, Yiddish Polish for monkey that's what she used to call him and when she started calling for Malpa and started talking to him, boy, Michael and I were like, oh, we were so relieved. We thought, wow, maybe she's going to have some peace now, and she's not going to be so scared. And and But she began to fight with him. And so she kept saying, not now, I'm not ready, I don't want to go. And when people have departing visions, it's not unusual for them to begin speaking in the tongue of their childhood. So... If it's German, they speak German. If it's Polish, they speak Polish. And so my mother-in-law was Polish and Yiddish, so she started speaking Polish. And, and so we could not understand what the deal was, and we kept saying, it's okay, you'll be safe, go with Pop. Well, she kept fighting with him. She fought with him for an entire day, and, of course, hospice wanted to load her up on meds, and we, you know, moved hospice out. Because uh, my mother-in-law was not in pain. She was emotionally distressed because she didn't want to go with my father-in-law. And we couldn't figure out what the deal was. Well, one day, day, after a day of arguing, the following day, we noticed that she was suddenly very calm and very peaceful. And she was talking, actually, to... We had to get her sister to come and interpret, because we didn't know what she was saying. But what we discovered was that she was talking to her mother who had died in Auschwitz. Uh-huh. So that's what she was waiting for. And once her mother came to get her, she was ready to go. And so she was ready, and she was talking to both Pop, uh, her mother, and to us all at the same time. She was not in physical pain. She was not on any a bunch of meds. She was um, She was real ready to move on. And so... Uh, I always wake up when people close to me pass on, and I know that they have passed on. That's just, I've always done that. And so I woke up and told Michael, you know, we better make a phone call because I think your mom just passed. And she did. She passed very, very peacefully. So, you know, but I think that because our family is so aware of this, um, that that is the reason why, we're a, we were able to go through that process. I mean, with my own son, uh, who was 16 at the time, after his grandmother passed, he said he wanted to see her. And uh, in our tradition, we don't embalm. We just, mm-hmm. you know, we, we just don't do that. We bury within 24 hours. And so uh, we decided, okay, sure. So we were there with him. He took one look at his grandmother's body, and he said, yep, no one's home, and turned around and walked out. And then he had an after-death communication in a dream form with his grandfather. So,
2: Well, I hate, I hate you know, to cut like, you off, Carla, but we're actually uh, we're against the clock here. We're running out of time. We're in our last minute. So I, I do want to thank you for joining us, and uh, hopefully you can join us again sometime. We can talk about this even more. Oh, no problem. I didn't even look at the clock. I I'm didn't so either sorry. till just now. I was having such a great time with the discussion, but yeah, we are out of time. Uh, again, Carla Wills Brandon is our guest. Uh, you can check out all of her books, including the latest Heavenly Hugs, Comfort, Support, and Hope from the Afterlife on our website, CarlaWillsBrandon.com. It'll be linked up on the front page of spooky SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Thanks so much for joining us, Carla. We'll talk to you soon. And for everybody else out there, again, no show next week because we are going to be Uh, at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast, but until the next show, we want you all to stay spooktacular.